I'll go start the coffee. I'll be down in a minute. Scooby dooby dooby doo wop. Pastor Randall, wake up. Good morning. Welcome to our daily Bible study. Good Today morning. we're going through Galatians chapter 4. Mm-hmm. I'll just start reading it. Right into it, huh? Yes. Okay. Chapter 4, verse 1. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. And when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God's, <clears throat> excuse me. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Since you are no longer a slave, but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So that's the first section of chapter 4, which is kind of a continuation of the last few verses of chapter 3, where he said, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So this is kind of just continuing that um, dissertation, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's... It's confusing. Do you want to explain who the slaves and sons and heirs are? Or do you want me to do that? Well, you should probably do it. I'm not sure. Well, I, I believe I mean, that the slavery... He's saying... Would be... All of them, the Jews and the Gentiles, all the believers. Right? Yeah, what's... You have to go to the verse. What's the difference between sons and heirs? Or sons and slaves. Well, he said he is no different than a slave. As long as the heir is a child, he's no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's subject to the guardians and trustees until the time he... So it's like, you know, when you... Your parents die and you're young, you have, like, an estate. You're, you're managed... Well, your parents can even still be alive. Well, no. Oh, this We're... is talking about... This is talking about heirs, like, okay. with property. You don't just give a 12-year-old, you know, a million dollars. There's someone who's, like, a trustee of the estate until mm-hmm. the person turns a certain age. And so that is, I think, what they're saying in the first verse. And then verse 2, yeah, he's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world when the time had fully come. And then we hear, I feel like I hear that passage a lot at Christmas time. When the time Mm -hmm. had fully come, God sent his son. I was even probably reading it like a, the way that I would lead a third grade class (laughs) to say it and pause. So when I read this, I don't see any difference between a child and a child with a parent still living and a slave now for us I mean we don't have slavery and I don't have a butler or anything like that in our house but the thing is the child is subject to what we tell them to do and if we had people that were working for us then what 
benefit do they receive? We would pay them a salary. And if we were completely in charge of their whole life, as Abraham would be for, I think he had 300 some fighting men, he'd be in charge of all of their living conditions, everything that they ate, their happiness, their morale. And that's, he's basically a father to them. Well, it, slavery, I don't know. Think I, you I'm treat just, your, treat your children differently than slaves. Right. I'm not saying in the love relationship. I'm just saying in the relationship that the person who is dependent on someone else for mm-hmm. their for living. Okay. So you have the, the children of Israel, sons, and then you also have Gentiles who were slaves to sin that, you know, were born to be enemies of God and then were freed through Jesus Christ. I feel like this isn't, I don't know. Um, Let's keep going into... I don't feel like that's the, I mean, you probably know better than I do, but... When I read this, I don't feel like this is a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. It's talking about people. everyone, the whole section. Because the section before this that we read yesterday, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ. And then he continues on. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different than a slave. So he's saying... You are all slaves, even though you are a children, you are a child of God, you are a slave to sin and to this world. And so even though you had this special relationship with God, being his chosen people, you were slaves to the law until Jesus came. Yeah. No, that makes I mean you're, am no, I No, you're right. You're I, right. I I think what I did as I jumped ahead and I saw an analogy that's coming up and um yeah I think you're right let's keep going with verse 8 okay formerly when you did not know God you were slaves to those who who by nature are not gods but now that you know God or rather are known by God how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Okay, before I go on to the next paragraph. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, when you were... Verse 8. When you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Just taking a second who kind of comprehend that, what that means. Sometimes I feel like Paul, like I really like his writing style, his, it's like sarcastic nature, but I think it's like, I don't want to say wordplay, maybe it's just too early for me in the morning, but it's like, mm-hmm. he uses the same word, I don't know, so I just need a second to think about it. Okay, so when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God. So, when you didn't know the truth about Jesus... You were slaves to man's rules. Is that what it means? Like traditions? Yeah. And you were also... The the big thing about 
the Old Testament was there was always separation. And you always had to go through a priest that was a mediator between you and God. So... But is... Wait, sorry, now. He's talking to the Galatians, so is he mm -hmm. speaking to... <clears throat> he's speaking to... I just read my note here, and it said when the Galatians were pagans, they thought the beings they worshipped were gods, but then when they became Christians, they learned better. So they never were Old Testament Jews. They were just pagans, and now they're coming straight to the truth. They didn't first start believing in yeah, the Jewish so religion. Yeah, were, so they were pagans that came in, but then there's a group of Judaizers convincing oh, yeah, yeah. these okay, young... Okay, now the Judaizers. Oh, that's right, okay. Yeah, so now. they came in, and they said, hey, if you want to be real Christians, then you have to do sure. the things that the church has always but done, this, these traditional this things. is not the group of people who were maybe like in the Jewish faith, going to Jerusalem for different festivals and things. They hadn't been believing the Jewish faith before and now converted to the way. They went straight from whatever pagan religion they were to Christianity. Well, there's two groups of people. Okay. There's, there's the Jews and the Gentiles sure. that are there. Yeah. But, but this yeah, is the, the Gentiles he's mostly speaking yeah, to. Yeah, so, he's you know, like, talking about you have to... Celebrate Purim, or you have to celebrate uh, Sukkoth, or what are you know all these holidays that the Jewish faith has, and he's saying no, just let's be all in all in Christ. Yeah, and, and he's saying, don't turn back to rituals. How are yeah. you turning back to those weak principles? Do you want to be enslaved by, basically like? work righteousness again like you have to do this you have to do this and the book of hebrews would make a big note of that it's not that the old testament people were saved by works righteousness no, but no, no. it was ritual after ritual after ritual so it'd be ingrained in every generation these signs of what was to come through christ in christ no i didn't mean that no i i know i just wanted to make it clear all right let's keep going i plead with you brothers because or become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Jesus Christ himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Hmm. All right. So you this become is... like me, for I became like you. You've done me no wrong. That means... What? <laughs> Verse 12. Become like me, for I became like you. Like, Become like me. Become a true believer. How did he become like them? I would say that he lived among them, knowing their situation oh, completely. Yeah. Okay, I was trying to think too and deep on that. This is where when we talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Sure. Some people think it's, you know, very poor eyesight and blindness, because uh, he says you would rip out your own eyes and give them to me. So, might have hmm. been something wrong with his eyes. And there's a couple other times where. 
Paul ends a letter saying, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. You know, you could like, so maybe he yeah. had somebody else always writing for him. He was dictating it to them in some way. In the verse, or in the note in my Concordia self-study Bible there, mm-hmm. it says, torn out your eyes is a hy- could be a hyperbole indicating their willingness to part with that which was most precious to them. See Mark 2, verse 4, where the same verb is used for digging through a roof. What, hmm. what do you have there in Greek for tore out your eyes? Oh. Does it mean the same thing as a roof, or is that just, I mean, the verb tearing or ripping? or you know, Now this is getting graphic if you're thinking about right. eyes, but... If it were possible... Uh, you would have, yeah, torn out or dug through X or Ruzantes, so. Yeah, it could be, like, just hyperbole, or it could be a reference to his eyes, because, yeah, I think it is mentioned in a few other places. He brings up his eyes again and again, and that he he would use that hyperbole talking about illness right so the digging through the roof is a reference to the four friends digging through the roof and lowering their friend down sure so it doesn't really matter what verb but the fact that he says like this thing about eyes after talking about illness leads some people to think that and that the illness was related to his eyes did we say earlier or did i say earlier i shouldn't say we that Paul did not visit the Galatians yet? I think you did imply that. Either it was to me privately or maybe you did say maybe it. Maybe I did say it. It seems that he did preach to him at some point. Yeah. And. But we didn't, I don't recall that from reading Acts. Like, I don't remember Galatia being specifically so mentioned. So he could be. But I think this, is, is this leads into, yeah, Galatia is an area. It's like a yeah. province. So South Galatian. Galatia would be near the Mediterranean Sea and Paul may have visited there and then North Galatia has other areas that Paul may not have visited Okay. so he might have written to some of them or met with some of them but not all of these people there so both could be true so this paragraph is saying listen to me because I know you guys are really kind <laughs> and are filled with Christ's love. Um, and I'm like, kind of like calling back to whatever relationship they did have where they cared for him. And um, now basically, how, how now have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? So he's, you know, this whole book so far has been, I'm telling you the truth. The Judaizers haven't been. They're saying this, which is wrong. Here's my whole life story and experience. This is why I'm telling the truth. And now he's kind of going like into a personal connection. Like, I, you remember when you met me and you took care of me? Like, how can you not listen to me now? This is just kind of like his, more of his persuasive. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's like really another point fair, to make. though, because it's clear it he unfair. loves them. So if, you know, someone that loves you tells you something that you're wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah. You usually accept it more than if an enemy tells you that you're wrong. Right. I'm just summarizing. I know. I'm, I'm just... not trying to argue. I'm not... I'm not trying to argue either. I feel like you're arguing. Oh. <laughs> I... I... I'm just, I was just saying that this is another way he's trying to prove, like, he cares about them, yeah, Mm -hmm. and he's trying to show, I'm telling you the truth, I'm, I'm truly, I truly care about you, and now the next paragraph he's going to talk about the other people, so those people, and he's going to go on about them, so he's like, I care about you, this is our relationship, these guys just showed up and started saying this this and this you know like he's kind of drawing like the yeah let's read about those people differences between the two of them okay those people verse 17 those people are zealous to win you over but for no good what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them it is fine to be zealous provide the provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when i am with you My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Okay, that's the end of a section in my Bible. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I just had this, you know, sectioned off in mind that the first paragraph, 12 through 16, is his one point like I care about you and then the next paragraph 17 through 20 is the other people don't care about you it's Mm -hmm. just you know good I don't want to say persuasive writing (laughs) but you know he's making points and counterpoints and it's coherent yeah it's an interesting analogy with childbirth because Paul had never been through childbirth it's always interesting when men talk about childbirth (laughs) It's interesting do, to me. I don't know. What do you want to talk about it? Do you have something no. to say? <laughs> it's, I do not. I do not want to talk to my, oh, 38, 37? 38. 38 weeks. But when um, this gets posted, I'll probably have a baby. Yeah. So, so it'd be so. wise for me not to talk about it uh, as if I know what I'm talking about. He's saying. But, but when you. He loves this people so much, but right. when what he's trying to give them is this everlasting life, he's trying to help the Holy Spirit or have the Holy Spirit work through him to give them life. And it's a struggle, it's painful to care about some people that much and to see them fail and bring them back and well i feel like you're kind of talking about parenting right now no i think he's talking about being just a pastor that loves well, people right. that but are strange but i think that's getting away from the analogy of childbirth because when i read it at least i'm thinking about childbirth <laughs> you would know better than i um it's like the hardest well physically most painful part of parenting obviously after that you have to deal with other struggles with you know the newborn stage and then when they get older there's the teenage arguing stage and you know bad 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 behavior but when you're literally giving birth to them 
It's like, this is really, really hard and painful. Why are we doing this? <laughs> and then, well, yeah, it's hard for us. Luckily, <laughs> yeah, why are you? <laughs> uh, luckily, God does something to women's brains and memories. At least I've been told. And I know it's true because I have more than one child, but you kind of forget the pain after it's done, you know? You don't, like, think about it every day, like, wow, that was terrible. Hmm. It's like a protection thing, Hmm. you know? Do you think that's because you have a positive association with that? With the product? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, but I think it's just, like, you know, I don't know. If you, well, if you would have asked me, like, do you remember breaking your arm? It would be very vivid, like, memory to me, the pain. Mm-hmm. I can recall exactly what happened and how. But if you, you know, people say, tell me about, you know, when Liesl was born and you know, tell the story, like, I don't know, the pain doesn't um, come back, like, as strong. Maybe, yeah, the memory of the child and all those other hormones, you know, but whatever. It's, I think, God's way of making you have more children because if you remembered it very vividly like you do breaking your arm or being in a car accident or whatever um then you wouldn't want, probably want to do it again and so everyone how, would only have one child so how does this apply to paul in, well, in your eyes when he has he's in he's saying he's in the pains of childbirth so it sounds like he's feeling very 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 pain for them not just I'm having trouble raising you. You're like a disobedient teenager, but he's like forming forming them. It says until Christ is formed in you, like it's I don't to me maybe I'm misinterpreting this, but like how long have they been Christians? They're new Christians, right? And newer. I mean, I mean Paul everybody's would've... a new Christian kind of at no, this time, but, but I mean Paul's missionary journeys would have been like a total of 25 years maybe right well let's just say they had learned about jesus five years ago Mm -hmm. and then these judaizers come in and they're trying to sway them i mean it even sounds like he's saying until christ is formed in you like maybe they're not they don't even have a solid foundation yet like they're so they're not just like children being led astray he's seeing them as like you're still being birthed you're still you still don't really even get it you're new you're so new Mm -hmm. you're like a newborn you're not like a baby even you're just being born you don't have a full grasp of what christ did to you or for you i should say Mm -hmm. i don't know because newborn is different than, you know, a five-year-old who argues or a teenager who's rebellious. Like, to me, I think that that makes it sound like they're very, very new or at least that whatever they thought about Jesus wasn't right because he's saying until it's formed in you. And I don't know if I'm maybe just seeing that wrong because I'm thinking about childbirth so much. But I want to take a break from that and talk about the word zealous for a minute okay what does zealous mean to you because i feel like it's got two connotations and sometimes people 
use zealous as like a good thing but I also feel that maybe culture and time have changed it to be sort of a negative thing I don't know what are your thoughts on the word zealous yeah I think it's to be extremely passionate about something um my first definition in my dictionary and the dictionary that I have it's it's a full dictionary but it's not the end all be all you know it's it it gives you my greek dictionary my greek dictionary it gives you a definition that is the best it can do but there's obviously more flavor than just putting in two words but it says be positively and be positively and intensely interested in something strive for desire for uh exert oneself earnestly be dedicated i think because um well and then you have people like the zealots which was a religious um activist political group at that time or well i shouldn't say at that time at the time of jesus i don't know about 25 years after that but Mm -hmm. then um sorry what were you gonna say well i wanted to give you the second definition (laughs) second definition is to have intense negative feelings over another person's achievements or successes be filled (laughs) with jealousy or envy so i think the word zeal is passion Mm -hmm. but whether or not that's passion positive or negatively direct yeah that's that's really what matters so and i think when you say zealous people think of religious I mean, well, zealot, yes, usually. No, not well, not zealot, but if you call someone zealous, and maybe this is because I run in mostly religious circles, but I wonder if you said it to, um, you know, like a non-religious person or just a regular atheist on the street, like, so it's like, oh, that person's very zealous. Like, I think it conjures like a religious image. I don't think it's used too often, you know, like. Yeah, In like that is one zealous mechanic. <laughs> He's so positively interested in the well-being of my car. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I just feel like uh, there's um, people who don't like the church because they don't like um, churches that are overly zealous. And by that, I mean, like, uh intent like intense you know and that that was part of the definition like intensely doing this or that and we should all be intensely passionate about spreading the word and sharing this truth but at the same time you don't want to be overzealous and like pushing people away or being becoming like becoming political like a zealot group um trying to force your religion on others and uh i think some people see certain church groups not not necessarily ours but um as negative because they are maybe extremist groups well i think that when you have zeal for something zealous and you're intensely passionate about it that can lead you to going beyond what something says sure just like this section yeah because you're because there's emotion there excuse me 
<clears throat> you you tend to justify behavior that might not be what the Bible says, but right. there's there's Just good like intentions behind Judaizers. it. Oh, I really want, I, I need this to happen so much. So uh, sometimes I'm going to act not out of love, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that because I have the feeling. And I mean, it it's emotional that we love our God so very much, but there's also reason to it right. that we read the Bible, and then also sometimes reason has to. Uh, go beneath faith because we just trust some things so all of these the parts of our psyche work together and it's zeal is important but we can't just overemphasize zeal right well because if you say you're intensely passionate that you know could be synonymous with like extreme like extremely passionate and then then that then you're like well yeah, then, then you're you an become blinded to <laughs> so He's saying those people are zealous to win you over. And then he goes on. It's fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good. And mm-hmm. that, I think, is the key because um, I remember having to discuss this in college, talking about ex- people who are hold a bad impression of religion because of extremist groups. Like if you saw an extremist Christian group you know, bomb an abortion clinic, or you see an extremist uh, Muslim group do this um, or that, and you're just seeing these extremist groups in the news, you don't see the uh, kind of normal people, <laughs> the no- the people who are, like, not sure. taking religion to extreme, they don't make the news because they're not extreme, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you don't know what Christianity really teaches or, you know, these other places, what they're actually teaching... And just be like, oh, everyone who is zealous or who's passionate gets carried away. I never want to be a part of a group because they're yeah. too carried away or they're too extreme or they're too the zealous. Is, I don't. And, and this is just guarding against people being too zealous. And I think that's good because I think uh, you do get, some people do get carried away, either in their traditions or their. Sure. Everything has to be exactly this way. And if it's not, then I'm going to you know, leave the church. Like, that's extreme view, too, to say, like, if if every, you know, thing isn't perfect according to my traditions, you know, not necessarily Bible-based, like, then I'll go find a different church. Yeah, and I'm trying to wrap my head around this because, or just kind of wrestle with this, because I, I want to be extremely Christian, you know? I don't want there to be a... a you know, shred of darkness in my faith. I want to be as much Christian as I possibly can be. And I want to be for as zealous for Christ as I can be. At the same time, I don't want to go overboard and go beyond that. Right. So, well, and I think that's, that's exactly what Paul just said in this verse is that if you're doing it for good, rather than, what did he say? And to be with, Provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. So not just like when you're going to prove a point, like for instance. Or when you're at church on Sunday. Or, well, like take those, take the groups who stand with signs, you know. Westboro Baptist. Well, yeah, I didn't want to name them, but there you go. (laughs) They're known for picketing, standing with signs that are, um, I don't want to say offensive. Provocative. Provocative. And what's the end game? 
do they think they're gonna like someone's gonna walk by and have a change of heart they're they're um the things they have on their signs and the things they're saying are not going to make anyone say oh you're right I want to talk to you more it's going to enrage the people they went to go see Mm -hmm. and is that drawing them closer to Christ Mm-hmm. Because if our goal is always to draw people closer to Christ, then we're not going to go out and be like, you're a sinner, you're terrible, you're wrong, you're going to hell. I mean, some of those things probably are true. Well, people you are say sinners. that, but like Paul's example, it's when people know you love them. First, those, yeah. All those people knew Paul loved right. them. So now when he's calling them out and saying... So you're, you're wrong. Yeah, we obviously like, do need oh, to preach okay. the law and the gospel, but Paul will go on later to say, you have to, you have to know when to do that. You know, start with the law or start with the gospel. And um, anyway, so don't be overzealous. It means draw people to Christ, not away. Like some of these laws, probably pushing people away, mm-hmm. the circumcision stuff. So it's they're not being they're not bringing people to Christ. Anyway, all right. The last section in my Bible is a little longer, 21 through 31, and it says Hagar and Sarah. Mm-hmm. So Galatians 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the wom- the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are now slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have had you have no labor pains because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her husband than of her who has a husband now you brothers like isaac are children of promise at that time the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit is it the same now wait sorry that's not a question (laughs) it is the same now But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Yeah, so this is, goes back to Abraham having the two, two, uh, or waiting, two children, waiting for the promise of the Savior. We don't need to retell the story, they just told it. Okay. Well, <laughs> right? But yeah, but it is. It's but it's, one it's thing, a good one thing that really did happen. Yes. Yeah. So when it says they may be taken figuratively, it doesn't mean they are figurative. It's no. true. It truly did happen. Yeah, there are a number of different things that happen throughout the Old Testament that serve as lessons for us in the New Testament even though they really happened. Yeah. So, He's saying it did happen, but we can use it as an analogy. Mm-hmm. It's not that it was um, like a fable written to teach the story. It no. actually did happen. Yeah. just want to make that clear because 
feel like that gets a little confusing. Or at least I had a note that I was confused about it when I was in high school. Sure. <laughs> like, why would he say they may be taken figuratively for the women represent? Um, and maybe they've updated it in the new NIV. I didn't look, but... Yeah, um, and this is not to say that anyone that used to be of those other places... So this isn't saying that any of the people that are living under the law now cannot come back in any way. It's just that unless we live for Christ and through Christ, that faith is what saves us, not by observing the law. There's no way for us to be saved. And that's the major point is that we, if we continue to live in slavery, that I have to do this in order to be saved, because that's the slavery it's talking about under Hagar, then we aren't children of the promise. And if we aren't children of the promise, then we are not going to receive the inheritance. Right. Well, and then when he says, get rid of the slave woman and her son, it doesn't mean in the same way that Hagar and Ishmael were sent out into the desert. Mm -hmm. And like, get rid of that slavery in your heart, right? Like, yeah. Everyone who was a Jew, I mean, they're they're trying to convert them, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) They're not like, well, we're going to kill you all because you don't believe the truth or we're going to leave you out to die. Like, it means, like, let that part die in your heart, that part that's relying on not Jesus. Yeah, and then this, I don't want to take this into an allegory where everything that happens in... Isaac's life or everything that happens in Ishmael's life all of a sudden is part of this but just as a a very close to this now as sons the way that we act is God has given us his entire this entire inheritance thanks be to God let's live lives like sons Mm -hmm. not as slaves or oh I gotta do all this because I don't want to be punished or you know, I'm owned by God, and God makes me follow all these commands. No, it's, well, you know, this helps out my God. This helps out my Father. This is a way I can show him that I love him. And to view ourselves that way, because that's the way God, our, our Father in Heaven wants us to view the laws that he has given, is these are ways that we help in his kingdom. Not, oh, i got to follow all the commandments. Ugh, you know? Mm. It's really easy to do. About the word help. Is that right? We help God by following his commandments. Did I say that? Yeah. Oh. Uh, we thank God by following his commandments. Well, I think that we, God, doesn't God need works us. through us. Yeah, but he doesn't need our help for anything. This is going to get us off topic. I just don't think that he, I would use the word help. But maybe you meant it differently. But this section, let's just go back to this section, not get off topic. Um, Yeah, he he retells the story of these two sons. And then I think it's interesting to note that he says, born in the ordinary way and then as a result of the promise. So that calls back to, I think it was like chapter two when, when he's talking about covenants versus promises 
um, where you like make an agreement and both sides have to hold up something versus a promise, which is one-sided. And then, and then he says, yeah, we have to get rid of that old way. And we all are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Yeah, because those two are always going to fight each other. Right. You're part of you that wants to be ritualistic and following rules and mm-hmm. can earn your own salvation. Is that what you mean? And then, like, the part of you that trusts yes. in grace. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand by... As a Christian, I help God because our we serve I Him. I didn't want to talk about this. We serve Him. I know. I just I think our service to God is something that we continue to do in our lives of thankfulness and sanctification, and we do help Him in our service, not not to save ourselves, but. By everything we do, we're, we're helping do the will of God. and. Well, I have a lot of questions on that, so okay, let's well, we'll, talk about I'm sure it we'll now. get into it a lot yeah. deeper because we're already going long. Yeah, this one's kind of long. All right, we will pick up Chapter 5 next time. Have a good day. Scooby-dooby-dooby-doo-wop. Pastor and Laura wake up.